He's good. Yeah, Sorry. what's doing? I think I want to try to do a podcast. A what? What's that? Well, I, well, I talk about what I do during the day and maybe conversations. Oh, because I never heard that term. So what do you put it on the internet? Yeah. Yeah, too bad I don't have it. I never heard that term before. Have what is the name again? A podcast. Pot? Cast? P-O-T? P-O-D-C-A-S-T. All right, I never heard that term. This is The Mild Adventures of Fred Stoller. That's my mother who doesn't know what a podcast is. And I'm, I'm learning as I go. Today, I, all right, I've had some mild adventures. One of my biggest adventures was um, meeting my guest. And I put together a little thing. He does these great PowerPoint speeches. And you did one for me, Robert Foster, at Farmer's Market. Well, for everyone. Because he, all right, let me, let me just, before I build them up, tell the story of uh, how this happened. I um, I saw the movie Jackie Brown when it came out in movie theaters. <clears throat> I honestly wasn't as blown away as it crept up on me when I was channel surfing. Then I see the scenes with him as the bail bondsman, Max Cherry. And as I kept watching it and the humanity, the vulnerability, he was a sensitive, macho guy. You never see movies where middle-aged people have a love story, but just his his struggles and everything. So I got, I became fascinated. So I started going on the IMBD, the DB, and he had these these great quotes like, um, I'm just going to read a few. I'm not sure how a guy wins or loses in this business, but someone's got to come along and make you lucky. You can't do it yourself. And then this is one of my favorites. Uh, talking about the rules to succeed in Hollywood. Step one is you've got to have a good attitude. Step two is accept all things Deliver excellence to whatever is offered. Give it your best shot. And rule number three is never quit. It's not over till it's over. And how he got them in the late innings. So to me, and then I, I uh, met him at Fred Willard's, uh, had a Christmas party, and I'd bump into him at this diner, the Silver Spoon, which is gone. And to me, it was just amazing. Not only one of my favorite noir kind of parts, but as a the humanity as a person, plus this Hollywood story that I hope I know we'll get to about having a little bit of a lull in a career and the resurrection and his his inspirational talk. So, all right, I'm babbling. So, be, if I have to give credits besides Jackie Brown, me myself, Irene, Heroes, Mulholland Drive, this new show, Backstrom, Breaking Bad, Olympus Has Fallen, an early alligator, the black. All right, I'm babbling. Maybe we could do what you did at Farmers Market. You do most of the talking, but. I'm going to fawn a lot. And sitting in uh, a big, uh, he's a young guy, a big character actor fan. I thought it'd be exciting for him to be here. Ben Solinger, who is young, but he loves not just the gritty, cool people like Clint Howard, Stephen Talabaski. He he sought them out and he did like a web series and he had me there and he knew my book and all the stories and he just did it right. Had good craft services there. <laughs> you, you paid us, and you and you knew all these quotes. So he loves all the older character actors, right, Ben? I do. I love them. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, Robert, I'm just babbling. Uh, thank you so much. 
Hey, that's uh, good babbling. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, now, um, I know a lot because, you know, I know you and from your uh, talk. So just setting it up with uh, the, the, the diner, I, I was telling these guys before you got here, <clears throat> you would go to this diner every day? Oh, I was there for 27 years. Um, I first started here in L.A. in about 1966, early uh, 66, and I stayed at the Chateau Marmont. It was an old, beat-up hotel. Oh, no, it's a famous where Belushi died. And now everything. it's famous, yeah. but this was long before Belushi was there. And, uh, and diagonally across the street, across Sunset, was a very famous place called uh, Schwab's Drugstore. Which I just saw Sunset Boulevard. And you, the... you see it in Sunset Boulevard. It probably was a, a location for a lot of pictures. But it was very famous because there were hundreds of regulars. Um, this was the place, by the way, where a famous actress whose name may come to me, you might come up with it, was... Discovered. Discovered at the... Counter. Yes, at yes. the soda counter... Um, Wearing a an Angora sweater. That's a f wow. little detail of the story. <laughs> and um, and this place had maybe four or three, four hundred regulars. They would be there every day, some at six, some at seven, some at nine, some at twelve, some in the evening. There were, were they looking to get discovered too? Or they were just eating, they were eating and getting their prescriptions filled. It was a drugstore and a, and they had a big food uh, wow. at booths. And there was um, and you know, writers and actors and directors and uh, and publicists and uh, hookers and uh, horse players right. and hangers on and everybody was at Schwab's until it closed suddenly in 1983, and uh, just uh, they they closed their doors in one day. Yeah, there was a whisper. I was there having uh, breakfast late. It might have been two thirty, three o'clock, and and a whisper runs through the store. They're they're closing. They're closing. They're closing, and. Suddenly, the following morning, the door was locked. Um, so you were a regular there. Too? I was a regular there by then in '83. Uh, uh, I, you know, started it across the street at the Chateau Marmont. And when I moved out here to Los Angeles, that was my breakfast spot. You got to have a spot. Yeah. And so, when it closed, I searched around for a place to eat, and a few actors, a table full, uh, finally, after a year or so, discovered the Silver Spoon, which was at that point called uh, uh, something else, uh, whatever it was called, Theodore's. Well, I'm sorry to back up a little bit. When you first came to L.A., did you did you come out with a job, or you just came out to be an actor? Did someone sign you, or did you? Yeah. So Chateau Marmont wasn't a fancy place. It's not like you came out and were in a luxurious place. Oh, actually, it was. It was uh, old and and threadbare, but it was still a famous mm -hmm. and uh, and an up upscale joint. I came out. I was one of the last contract players at 20th Century Fox. Uh huh. In uh, in 1965, they signed me. Uh, the 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 the. Um, uh, the contract player system was uh, gone by 70 uh, and or 71 or whatever it was that uh, Fox really had a rough time and dropped all their contract players. Everybody else did at the same time. Um, so they brought me out uh, for From New York? something, yes. And then I came out and I did my first job at uh, a small studio, the Sam Goldwyn studio <laughs> on, uh, on uh, Santa Monica. But... They put me in the uh, oh, so they, they just Marmont. flew you out, put you up, and you go, "Hey, things are great." I'm... Hey, things are great. This is how it should be. Wow. And 
Were you? Did they contract people like some are character actors? You were like a hunky leading guy. Like Boy, did, did they I don't know what categorize? their policies were, but all I know is that the head of the studio, 20th Century Fox, who was the older Zanuck, uh, Daryl Zanuck, Daryl mm-hmm. F. Zanuck, uh, that I was in New York. I did a Broadway play. I started in, uh, I, I started trying in 1964. I got a play in 1965. Late that year. Uh, while I was doing the play, uh, Mrs. Daly has a lover on Broadway. Oh, two, wow, yeah. Two-character play. Uh, I'm a lucky, lucky guy. Start with uh, the first part. And my agent says, um, we're going to do a, uh, a film, uh, a screen test for 20th Century Fox. And I go someplace, and they ask me to turn right, turn left, uh, look at the camera. What's my name? Uh, do I have any any uh, hobbies, uh, you know, and it's little nothing questions, and bingo, it's over with. Next thing I know, they send it to Paris, where Daryl F. Zanuck is living. He doesn't live in Hollywood. He lives in Paris in a hotel, and uh, they send him this test, and he and he puts me under contract. My so God. I and never met him. So, so back then, if you were in a Broadway play, as you were, an agent could say, this guy's in a Broadway play. Could he screen test for you? Is that how it worked? Apparently so. Wow. So you came out without really struggling too much. Uh, that is correct. Now, I you know, struggled through a couple of years in, uh, in New York. New York, it's, Broadway. It's not, uh, but it was, yes, uh, practically without paying the kind of dues that... No L.A. dues. No L.A. dues. Um, and, um, and, you know, I... I recognize that somewhere along the line. I say, God, you got here and you had no dues. And then, of course, you do have to pay dues. Right, so in the middle. Later, you got to pay dues. And uh, I had a five-year first act to my career yeah. uh, and a 27-year uh, uh, period of paying dues. Yeah, that's well, that's why I love your story. I don't love that you suffered for a while, but I love... The inspiration, how you break all rules of like, you're supposed to make it by this age and if nothing's happened by then and and all that and your humility and perseverance and how... Ignorance. Well, yeah. You... <laughs> Ignorance was my best friend. If I had known what the... what the Well, the, I do... The... I, I, Robert, I, I sorry to interrupt. I do that too because when I started as a stand-up comedian in like 78 and... People go, you know, I'm a nervous, shy, depressed guy in my life. How did you get, I, I got into stand-up comedy, not because I was funny. I didn't know how you break into character acting. And I heard you do your set at the Improv, then someone will see you. You get on The Tonight Show. I could be on Good Times. I, it was ignorance, you know. So, But then when I see people today, young people, I go, why would someone get into this? But I didn't know it was the most competitive thing in the history of the universe. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. You don't know that. Right. Right. So I just was a, a young guy thinking I want to get out of Sheepshead Bay in Brooklyn. And I and I just um, I just heard Jimmy Walker did his act at the improv. And, and so I would w- listen to albums of Jimmy Walker and do jokes about being from a black neighborhood, which I wasn't. I just thought that's and I was so god awful. But once I passed auditions at the improv, I thought I'm at the point of no return. I can't, you know. <clears throat> so, yeah, it's it's ignorance. But the thing with you is that. When you were in that, well, first of all, let's let's talk about when you, the, the good years. What were some things? Alligator, the Avalanche. What were the things? Well, medium cool. Yeah, no, I, I have several classic movies in my career. They're they're health, they're haphazard. 
Right. Uh, you know, there's not a line of great ones or big hits, but they're all. Some of them are interesting. Uh, Medium Cool is a classic, and, yes. and was uh, was the second movie I did. I learned uh, great lessons in that. It was the third movie I did. Sorry, I learned great lessons, especially in my first several movies uh, about you know what it is I'm doing. I I started out really not knowing, as you said, how competitive. What's this most competitive how thing in the world? Ever created in the history ever of... Ever created in the history of the world, maybe but caveman, I like Maybe a skinny caveman trying to fight a dinosaur. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for food. But yeah, it's the most insane. But do you have the same thing I do when you hear people want to get into it? You go, why would you do that? But, well... Because because now we know, yeah. But, uh, but I didn't know. I was... I. I was a senior at the University of Rochester. I was studying history and psychology. I was going to be a lawyer for no good reason. <laughs> On the first day of my senior year, I pulled into a parking spot, and before I could even turn off the engine, a beautiful brunette walks in front of my car. She's wearing a black London fog raincoat and high heels. I am struck by lightning. I leap out of the car. I follow the girl. I'm trying to think of something to say. She goes into the auditorium. I follow her into <laughs> the auditorium. They're doing an audition for Bye Bye Birdie. Wow. I had never seen the play, and I hadn't seen the movie, but I had seen the trailer to the movie, and I knew it was about a guy who wore a gold suit and does, <laughs> does a parody of Elvis Presley. I said, that's how I'm going to meet the girl. I auditioned for the part of the guy with the gold suit. Never having acted or wanting to act. I was chasing the girl. Wow. <laughs> I looked the following day for my name by the guy with the gold suit. It wasn't there. It wasn't anywhere. At the bottom of the chorus list... An afterthought, the last guy on the list. I said to myself, I don't want to be in a chorus. I want to meet the girl. And then I said, well, stay. You will meet the girl. Yeah. Later, I married the girl. Wow. I wasn't kidding. Wow. By the time I graduated from the University of Rochester, some you know months later, a guy had come to me and said, I'm directing a one-act Irish comedy. Would I'd like you to play the hero. Now you're talking, I said wow. to myself. So I did this one-act pl uh, one play. And just before I'm going to graduate, I go to my father, who had been on the Ringling Circus during the 1930s, uh, started as a roustabout and then went on the bull department, handled elephants and trained and worked in the circus for uh, some years before World War II, before I was born. And I went to him and I said, Dad, I don't think I want to be a lawyer. I think I want to be an actor. And the old man did not miss a beat. He said, I think you could do that, Bob. Wow. And so without knowing that there's this many of us. Wow. And that Because many he had jobs, a little performer in him. He he wasn't scared of anything. He wasn't wow. scared of an elephant. He, he certainly wouldn't be scared of that. I had no idea when I went to New York City that it was the most competitive thing that's ever created in the history of the world. That, that's what's interesting, hearing you all say that you had no idea how competitive, because now, anytime anyone starts to join and wants to be an actor, immediately the first thing is don't do it. It's got the well, highest unemployment rate in the world, but it sounds well, like the ignorance Yeah, was... I think, you know what, You know what, now that you bring it up, maybe they have all these, like, internet, like, shows like, like this, or maybe what people talking about it, behind the scenes, on E! People, people are more savvy now, and I don't know, maybe... Actually, when I was 18, I saw a chorus line... And I remember the whole play is about how competitive it is. I go, I still want to try it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, well, my I had the opposite. When I quit college to be a comedian, my mother freaked out. She goes, you're so depressed. How are you going to make people laugh? And I was very depressed. It made no sense to her. Me back then, she goes, you're going to get killed in the war because they take people who don't go to college. Now you're going to get killed. So I had the, the opposite uh, support. And my mother feels guilty for being a bad mother. I go, well, you gave me my 
comedy. All my bits were just say, you know, it's not politically correct, but this is true. When I said when I quit college to be a comedian, she goes, "I'm not going to tell him you're a comic. I'm going to say you're retarded." That was easier. That was easier to explain to her friends, like Freddie, there's something wrong with him. Then, because back then, your comedians were Shecky Green or in your face people. They didn't have like the press skinny guy that couldn't look at people. So. So basically, you're you get flown to L.A. and you're in movies and stuff. And I I, I just want to ask you a question about medium cool. Now you have kids, right? Now I have you, four kids. Now you must have been asked this. Did you say you can't watch this? No, because he's naked in it. No. <laughs> oh, but pretty briefly. I mean, uh, really, yeah, yeah. You know, there's, there's, there's pretty little to worry about. Right, as well. right. Come on. It's... I just mean I'm self conscious. So yeah, well, I'm just. Being... I was self conscious too, but it. That wasn't the first time. Oh, really? The first time was in the first movie. I got a movie. I, I, I did the Broadway play. I been, married the girl. Right. We drove out. We got an apartment on Fountain. Fountain, yeah, right by where the Silver Spoon was. Yes. That's where I lived, Hayworth and Fountain, when I first moved to L.A. I lived just a little bit further east on yeah. Fountain. And, uh, and the first thing that happens is I get a call from my agent. He says, you know who John Houston is? I said, no, I don't. He said, well, he's a big guy in this yeah. business. He wants to meet you for a movie called Reflections in a Golden Eye. It's Sorry fun. to interrupt. Was it Marlon Brandon in, in that? Because a friend of mine, I got so many people have questions for you. One of them, did you work with Brando in one of your first movies? Indeed. That, was, right. that was the first movie. Wow. Um, and, uh, and I fly to New York City. I have a good story, but I will not, unless you ask for it, okay. of my first advice from John Houston I about how it. you act in front of a movie. Sure. In front oh, of yeah. the camera. I, I can throw that at you. But just to get to the naked part. Yeah, okay. Uh, I fly to New York City. I meet John Houston. He gives me the job. I come back out. The, uh, the, um, the, uh, I, they send me the script. I read the script. It's got a guy riding around on a horse naked. Uh -huh. That's me. I say to myself, God, I wonder how they do that. Probably trick photography or something. <laughs> <laughs> when I get to Rome, I get out to the set. One of the first shoot scenes we shoot, it's a cold morning. And as I approach this, I'm being driven to the set. It's in a forest, a, a forest of trees, beautifully geometrically placed, uh, like tombstones. You've seen tombstones geometrically sure, sure. um, in lines and rows. And as I am approaching the set, I see there's a guy naked riding around on a horse. <laughs> there's a camera crew. They're setting up the shot. And as we get there, I say to myself, wait a minute. That guy's supposed to be me. I'm not going to let that guy do that shot. Oh, oh I'd so, be relieved. Do oh, it. Well, <laughs> wait a minute. I, right. So I run over to John Houston. I say, look, I can do that. You know, uh, He says, can you really, Bobby? I said, yeah, I can do that. And he says, well, well, we'll get you up on a horse. <laughs> and next thing I know, the wardrobe department hands me the little V cut off from a jock strap, you know, the little yeah, webbed yeah, yeah. V, yeah. and some flesh-taped, flesh-colored tape. They give it to me. I do my best to put it on. It's for my modesty, apparently. Right, right. They give me a robe. I go out there to the set. I get up on the horse. We take a couple of turns around. I had been on a horse. Well, you're from Syracuse. From Rochester. Rochester. I've been on a horse. Ten cents, uh, uh, right, uh, right, uh, right. ten cents going around the track. Somebody. And the point is, 
uh, after a couple of uh, after a couple of uh, turns, the horse is warm and lathered, and this thing is falling off. I finally I toss it in the bushes somewhere, and now and I say to myself, and this is the important part. I say, Bob, if you're afraid to do this, you better quit now because you either have to do this with abandon, of being on this horse, or don't do it or quit because if you cannot do it with anything at all that you're. With absolute abandon, you uh, you got no shot yeah, at this. I, I, this is not similar, but when I was 22, a doctor gave me a prescription for Valium, and I was taking. I go, Fred, if you can't deal with life at 22, you know, <laughs> it's not the same thing. But when you're young, I go, maybe when I'm older. So so I, I stopped. You know, what I'm saying, I go, Bob, Bob, I'll save this for later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's what I'm doing now. Now that I'm, I earned the right to just vegetate. So. So let, let me ask you, so you had this thing, I, I want to go to the slide, then I get to the happy stuff. Was it a gradual? Tell me, you were, you're in these movies and... Um... You know, uh, I did a series of movies that uh, that are interesting, and first of all, Re- Reflections in a Golden Eye, that's starring Elizabeth Taylor, Marlon Brando. Uh-huh. Uh, a... Uh, uh, the Stalking Moon with Gregory Peck. One of my questions is, what was it like to uh, make out with Lauren Hutton, or I forget who? Um, Lauren so, Hutton? No, not she, her. i got to put my glasses somebody else. on. You made out with someone someone wanted to know about. Um, I'm sorry. So you did all these things. I'll find it in a second. Um, Lauren Bacall? Uh, no, not Lauren Bacall. Who did you make you out? You could, you know. Oh, you were an alligator. There's a lot of questions about that. Oh, Lauren Hutton, yeah. Maybe this guy got it wrong. Because no. what was it like making out with Lauren Hutton? Lauren Hutton. You got it wrong. I'm oh, sorry. So you were in all these things, and t- so was it a gradual when you're the guy that went to 27 years of, huh? Ah, uh, well, you know, I did several movies. I did a television series called Banyan. Mm-hmm. Banyan did not succeed. Banyan was canceled. And were you a gritty detective? I'm I was a 30s detective. Old uh-huh. cars, old clothes, uh-huh. old jokes, fast women. They all lied uh-huh. to me. It was a great series. I liked doing it. and uh, But it did not... the producer of it, the writer, creator, producer of it, died during our uh, 13, 15 uh, order, and uh, it did not get, it did not succeed. Then I did several other things, uh, and then I did a second television series in uh, in uh, New Mexico. Uh-huh. Um, it was called Nakia, Good Guy, Indian, Deputy Sheriff, Wow. New Mexico, Contemporary, uh, Cops and Robbers in the Desert. It was the television version of Billy Jack. Wow. But but Columbia had never bought the rights to it, and so as soon as it started going on the air, Tom Laughlin sued Columbia and won the lawsuit easily, and it was canceled. So after two canceled television shows, there is no doubt the moment at which things are slipping and start to slip and get slipperier, and uh, next thing you know, uh, somebody else is, uh, is is fighting for the top rung. And um, and little by little, uh, you get lost in the shuffle, and uh, next thing you know, every job seemed to be less good. But there's a lot of movies during that period. Could you feel stuff. it at that time that it was starting to slip? Yeah, it... yes and no, but you don't want to, uh, you know, it takes a while to really recognize that you are, uh, holy moly, you're not in it anymore. And uh, they don't think of you as uh, as seriously anymore. Mm. And there's some new guy that they're, that's, that's fighting for it. And, um, and so, you know, you... Either accept the level that you find yourself in and make something good out of it, because there will always be 
greater and lesser. No matter what level you're at, there will always be greater and lesser. What you got to do is find your happiness where you are right now. This is the only moment So you, you weren't can. dwelling on what used to be. I remember in your uh, great speech you made that I put together um, at Farmer's Market, you were saying, okay, you don't have the trailer you used to have, and you would tell yourself these kind of things, right? You go, the trailer's smaller, but don't well, dwell on what used to be. I had a... I had a um, an epiphany moment mm -hmm. after I knew I had really slipped. The jobs were less and less and less, and there and I had four kids and uh, and the attendant duties, and I asked myself whether or not I could continue being an actor, or whether I was going to have to think of something else to do because I had to make a living. And this was a moment on Fountain. You know where the where the tennis courts are on Fountain. Sure, the one by uh, where the, the traders used to be. The Trader Joe's used to be on Santa Monica. Plumber Plumber Park. Yeah. Yes, up at the other end, uh, there's tennis courts. Sure, of course. And I had stopped running by then. I was uh, I was a runner for many years, and I finally worked, ruined a knee. This is probably 1989 or so. Wow, I and, came here in '88. Yeah. Well, this is by then I knew that I had hit the the bottom of it and was deciding whether I could uh, stay in it or not. And as I was walking into that tennis court, going to play uh, tennis with an old guy who used to uh, who used to play there, he's now passed, but his name was Joe Stein. He was a legitimate psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. He had, was writing books. This guy uh, was 80 years old, 79, 79 years old, and he could beat me at tennis. All he had to do was put the ball anywhere oh, no. on the set. I just had to get it back to him, and he could hit it anywhere You know he something? Wanted. I used to play with Norm MacDonald, the character, and, and he used to throw the racket, go crazy, because a heavyset lady was beating him. But uh, and Artie Lang would beat him, and he was fat. But you don't have you don't run and sprint. All you have to do is move move one or two feet and place it. Yeah, yes. it's deceptive tennis. He could do that. Yeah. And as I was walking into the tennis court, I asking myself with the weight of the world on me, how am I going to survive? I it came to me in a an epiphany. I said, Joe's the answer. Old Joe Stein. This guy never quits. Wow. That is the answer. Don't quit. If you oh. quit now, you got to get good at something and in order to make a living at it. It's going to take you some time. You're but not going to go back right to law now, school. If you stick to it right now, you still got a shot at it. I said, yes, Bob, but how do you... That's step three, by the way, never quit. Okay. Step two is how do you get from the hole you're in to winning it in the late innings, like Joe. Joe never quits, and he's still winning it. I said, you deliver your excellent best to right now. That will give you the best shot at the best future you got coming. And 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 sorry to tell you your own thing, at anything, not just parts, cleaning no. your apartment. Anything. anything of any kind. That's what you have to do right now. Now is the only moment you got to be creative in. And uh, why save the, your best for A next job. time? Yeah. Yeah. This is the moment you can be creative. Do it now. And it also gives you, when you do your best, that reward they always tell you you're going to get, the reward of self-respect, the reward of satisfaction. These are big if you're asking yourself where the good life is to be found. Self-respect and satisfaction, these are big things, and you get it merely by doing the best you can right now. It's, as good as I can think up to do the job at hand and actually do it that way gives you self-respect and satisfaction. And the ex That's step two. Step one, of course, is in order to get to step two. 
in order to deliver step two, you got to have a good attitude. Otherwise, you're and that's acceptance. Neg- yes, you're carrying negativity into right now if you are, don't have a good attitude and accept all things. It does not matter that you're not getting the, the Winnebago anymore, Bob. Right. So it's, it's not, not what bad it used that to she be. doesn't love you anymore, right. Bob. It's not. It's it's. Do not worry if you're not getting the good parts anymore, Bob. You accept all things. That gets the the load off your shoulders. You deliver your excellence right now because you're not precluded from that by carrying negativity into now, and you never quit doing it. It is a perfect formula for it the rest is. of my life. And when, when I discovered you and Jackie Brown, and I knew the name Robert Forster from some of these uh, 70s movies, but that three steps, I, I, I try to live by. I real, acceptance doesn't mean, oh, I used to have these many auditions. This is what it used to be. These people said I was going to be this. Acceptance right now. And, and, yeah, not, you know, whatever you do, deliver excellence. And, uh and just never give up. It's so simple, and I think you should write a book. You should. He gives these these speeches that are so the the greatest story. So let me ask you: um, when you were in this, like uh, you said, I'm not going to give up. Were you having the dreams of like one day being nominated, like you were, or or having this resurrection, or you just you just were in the moment? Well, my dreams had uh, long since uh, uh, evaporated. Uh, I now was just trying to hold on, just stay out of the gutter, <laughs> and uh, and you know every job that I could pick up uh, was uh, went to the bills, and uh, we're trying to uh, keep the thing going, uh, but. Um, where was the question? Well, when you were in that downward part, did you were you dreaming of like? Because I'm skipping ahead. When Jackie Brown came along, you said, "I'm dreaming again." I'm, and I yes, get that. Yes, it is. That's correct. Yes. I my only and I strategy. I get goosebumps when I say when that. When I saw Quentin Tarantino, my only strategy when I saw him walking into the yeah, uh, Silver Spoon, Silver Spoon, was that maybe some kid who liked me growing up was going to turn into a movie maker and give me a part. So you had that little vision. Oh, it was a long shot, oh, wow. but uh, that's but but at that point, that was what, all I had left. Didn't yeah. have an agent, didn't have a manager, didn't have anything. Just was picking up crumbs. And this guy walks in. He comes over to the table. We blah, blah for and a And did while. you know Tarantino? I had auditioned for him for uh, Reservoir Dogs, mm-hmm. for the old gangster. Lawrence Tierney. Lawrence part. Tierney. And as I walked out of the, with the interview, that I said, oh, I just kicked the hell out of that. He comes over and he says, look, this isn't going to work out. He says... I'm going to give that part to the guy I dedicated the script to, Lawrence Tierney. Mm-hmm. Ooh. you got to see him in some old noirs. He, he was a great bad guy. I'm so years later, Quentin walks into the Silver Spoon. And after we talk, at the end of the talk, I said, what are you, what are you working on? He says, I am writing an, a, um, a script from Rum Punch. Elmer Leonard's novel. Why don't you read it, he said. And I did. Six months later, I walked into the restaurant. It was a it was a dreary morning. They had the shades down. I walked out onto the patio, and who's sitting in my seat? My seat that I've been sitting in for 20 years? Uh-huh. Quentin. Wow. I walk over there, and before I can even get to the spot, he hands me the script. And he says, read this, see if you like it. And as you point out in your book, this is a terrific book, by oh, the way. Thank you so much. These are gems, all these stories, and each one is short and and, and fun Aww. to read. And I just to tell people and Mike over there, uh, I put a story, I'm going to give you a copy of the book, I gave, uh, I, my book about being a 
perennial TV guest star, I did a little story about Robert, how inspirational, because I met Tarantino. It didn't work out so good. No, but we all but, had the same exact yes. hope that this guy would uh, would take us and uh, do what he did for John Travolta. Yes. Uh, and uh, and he had no clue who I was, so right. my hope vanished. But anyway, yeah, so, so he said... Um, and I said to him, look, I... Don't, I, and I read the script, and I said, I don't think they'll let you hire me. I had already had the experience before. Of, of studio people yes. going, oh. Exhibitors, uh, distributors, rather, because uh, they really call the shots. And how did you go all this career? And at this point, you said you didn't have an agent or manager. How were you still surviving off of acting? My, aunt, my cousin asked me that, too. I said, well, uh, there's, uh, there's, occasional, there's the occasional residual, unemployment, yeah. and the occasional job. And hold yep. your breath and really tighten up and really just don't spend more than you got. There's only two rules of money. It doesn't matter how little you got, you can survive on it. Mm-hmm. Right. doesn't matter how much you got, you can spend it all and be in trouble. <laughs> Spot on. Yeah, and um, so, he, so he does, because I've had that too where someone says, I read a script and I go, there's no way they're going to let me have one of these big parts in a studio movie. So you saw, no way you're going to be Max Cherry this part. You thought, oh, maybe one of these three line parts. I I couldn't find a good part in there that I thought was right for me except Mac Cherry, and I felt sure that couldn't have been what he was doing for me, and it was. It was the moment at which I started dreaming again. It was like opening up a trunk. I I don't don't know if there's a good analogy, but suddenly I, I was in my kitchen and dreaming again. And, and, you know, I have that sometimes where I go, you know, look, there's worse lives to have. I, you know, like you say, I get a residual check. I get a occasional job. Pretty soon maybe I'll get a little bit of a SAG insurance. That's not so bad. But then once in a while something happens or I have a hope, I go, wait a minute, that dream that I pushed aside. And that dream I keep for, for self-preservation of not getting heartbroken. Yes, to be, st- to be standing outside the candy store uh, and can't get through the window. Wow. So, so did... Mm-hmm. Now, I, the DVD of um, uh, Reservoir Dogs has great uh, people talking and, and how um, Tarantino and uh, Lawrence Bender, his producer, fought for you because what casting people do is they have the usual suspects. Like, these are the guys that are studio, and they went, no, we want Robert Forster. And, uh, and Tarantino is one of the few people had his balls because I've had people that are fans of mine Fred you're going to be in everything I do cut to them and nothing they do because <laughs> then they'll go well you have too much of a New York accent that so and so didn't want you and there's very few people that have the balls go no I want him and him because usually they go alright the, uh, the one guy at the studio his job is to go no but there's, you know what I'm saying have you had people that like you but they go you know but they, they're not going to fight for you well he apparently did because yes. I know that ever, look it was the best male part that year if it had been another era some big guy Humphrey Bogart or uh, yeah it's, or, yeah. You it's know, one of Bob my Bob Mitchum or somebody would have played this well part. again one of my comments was it's the most human role a Tarantino film and it was again it was so relatable just a guy in a midlife crisis the whole movies about midlife crisis and again his vulnerability it just and uh, also I'm not a big comedy fan of big like kind of 
you know, Will Ferrell-ish kind of things. Me and my friend have all the lines memorized. These little moments like, you want coffee? Yeah, if you're having some. Or just things you pointing to a bag. I mean, just these little lines of uh, you walking out of a movie theater and just uh, that record store buying the thing. So, uh, yeah, and with De Niro shooting Bridget Fonda in the parking lot, to me, that's comedy. I, that's my, I grew up, my comedy was like The Graduate or dog, uh, Cuckoo's Nest. I like dramas that have those real things. And and I think you must have heard this a million times, most underrated movie, Jackie Brown. So here you are. Did you, did you when you're on the job, did you try not to get too excited? You don't want to go, well, maybe this will be one of his movies that, you know, you know what I'm saying? Did you have, did, we're trying not to hope it's going to be the next Pulp Fiction. Like, what was your attitude? Uh, you know, I, I had not had a big start in a long time. Yeah. I had not had a full schedule movie which means in the old days it meant 10 weeks or more, Yeah, full schedule. I had not had a full schedule movie that I'd been in for a very long time, but the job is never different. The job is always the same, whether it's a great movie or a nothing movie. The material always, you start at zero. You don't know the material. Mm -hmm. you got to understand the material. You have to internalize it. you got to learn those words. The words got to come out of your mouth the way thoughts come out of your mouth, not the way uh, uh, lines come out of your mouth. You start at zero with every single piece of dialogue in every single shot in every single movie you do. You start at zero, and you hope you can... Get to a 10 before they stop shooting it. You hope that you can learn enough during the first take and the second take to uh, to define what you're doing oh, and yeah. make it worthy of putting in the movie. you got to give them a shot that the thing not only is good for you and good for the other actors, but that the audience can easily relate you're to and is something that's worth putting in the movie. Even lines like with De Niro's, the coffee, hey, you okay there? You know, with the coffee? Uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm fawning. I, I thought I wouldn't do that. But <laughs> it, it's just amazing. So when you're doing, you don't think, oh, maybe I'm going to be nominated. And uh... Oh, no. You just try your heart out to do the best job you can do right now. And uh, and well, what did I hear? When you work with Samuel Jackson, you would talk about kung fu movies. Like, what would you what would what you have in common? I forgot. There was some kind of uh, thing you both had a passion for. I don't know, but uh, who, who Samuel uh, L. Jackson? There was some kind of genre of movie. I forgot that. Uh, who said it? He said it. I said it. Someone. I Somebody said it. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> I never saw the guy. I don't right. know. I was a mile you away. You didn't meet. It didn't wasn't meet, me. You didn't meet Samuel Jackson. Oh, oh of course I did. That's we had good I'm, scenes with him. Yeah, no, I'm saying there was some kind of thing you would be talking about during off takes about some, I don't know, some fun you had. I, I don't know what I'm talking well, about. Well, I'm, I'm not sure I can All identify right. it. It's but, just, uh, uh, so wow. So this, this, this movie, again, so had you ever been to the Academy Awards in your career before this? I had. I, in 1973, I had done a movie with uh, Gregory Peck, and he was the president of the Academy at the time wow. in 1968. And I asked him, how do you get in the Academy? He says, you do a few more pictures, and you uh, come and you apply to the, uh, to the Academy. Mm -hmm. And I did a few more pictures, and in 1973, um, I applied to the Academy and, and, and was, it was a given membership. So uh, for, I've been in the, the Academy for a very long time, and that first year, I, with the girl that I ran after uh, in, at the Ro University yeah. of Rochester, we went to the Academy Awards in 1973. I'm trying it to think who won. Not great. the Poseidon Adventure. Uh, I don't remember. 73. And he didn't win, but they don't even like to use the word lost. Sadly, Robin Williams and Goodrill Hunting, I believe, won it that year, right? Uh, if In the year For, that I... Yeah. Yes. 
Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. So no hard feelings, huh? Uh, well, my <laughs> friend, my friend Frank called me the night before. He was loaded. He called me up. He said, uh, "Now, hey, when you go there tomorrow, and they open up the envelope, and they say, and the winner is Robin Williams. Don't jump out of your seat <laughs> too <right>. quick." <laughs> I get it. I get it. That's funny, man. That's funny. So l- let me ask you a question, and I I think I know the answer, but I'll ask it anyway. Now, you, because you've had this like little. You know, Lull, is that why you're the most gracious, thankful guy? I'm guessing you would be that anyway, because there are people, all right, I'm, I don't want to badmouth a guy I never met, like David Caruso, where he was sort of a jerk on NYPD Blue, was humbled, and then he got that other show, CSI Miami, then I heard he became a jerk again. So I'm guessing for you to be such a gracious guy, every... Anytime I mention Robert Forster, I was an extra on uh, the show with Hank Azario, the greatest guy. He thanked every catering person. Everyone, your name comes up. Oh, I did a line on so-and-so. I, you know what I'm saying? So were, were you extra thankful going, look where I, I never thought I'd be on these big sets again? Or you're oh, always a good guy. I don't guy. know about that. But, uh, you know, probably you got to learn humility somewhere. And probably I picked up a lot more humility over the start than I had at the beginning. Although, you know... Uh, but what I'm saying is probably even if you didn't have that downward thing, you'd still be a great guy is what I'm saying well, let's, on the sets. Listen, let's hope so. All of our mothers hope that we turn into right. good boys. <laughs> but but you've been around people that are going, where you want to go, hey, man, this is the best job in the world. And you know what I'm saying, when you see the temper tantrums or, or people being not gracious. Um, well, let's, let's, let's start with uh, I'm sure that I haven't uh, always been perfect, but um, I'm very grateful. Uh, to have found this uh, and to still be in it. Yeah, this this uh, this resurrection and uh, it, it again I, that story is unbelievable. The perseverance and but I'm saying you never you could eat now now Jackie Brown is not so recent now, so you could easily have forgotten you know that bump and and been a jerk. I'm just saying you were the great great guy. You're a gent, and thank um, you for uh, no, it's, saying such a nice thing. And it's, uh, are there any, I, I, like, I ask a lot of stupid questions, and <laughs> are, there, are there any people you've worked with you go, I can't believe I'm working with this guy? But then again, I think answering my own question, you're just treat everyone the same. I would guess so. Look, everybody is trying. I never met an actor who wasn't trying his ass off. And uh, and I remind and whenever I meet an actor I don't know uh, especially one that I that hasn't gone very far yet I remind them that I have great respect for what they're doing what they're trying to do and great sympathy as well and uh, and it's true yeah and that's why hearing both your all stories it's very inspiring because being someone who is still really really fresh in this after being here almost ten years and pursuing it and feeling like I haven't even pushed a pebble. It's just it's and to see how gracious you are. It's great to realize that it's 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 got to be something you deeply want down inside of you. And if you don't do something else, because the the positivity that you all still carry, even with all your losses and wins, it it makes me go. It's okay. This is part of the process because nobody just gets it right. You know, just and uh, you know, like um, I used to be a little bit not more negative but more like oh i've never been a series regular all this stuff in my book i've done guest spots and like like i did a uh, a reading of a script um george gallo who you know and even if i don't get to be in it even if it doesn't happen the magic i felt sitting next to uh 
some of these people and the feedback and reading something that's more dimensional than just being the nebbish delivery guy. So I appreciate just little moments. Same thing with women or loneliness. So you could have an eye contact and interaction at the Grove. I go, that's valid. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's just like life moments. Of, even if they're a momentary and eye, eye contact or, a, you know what I'm saying, a little thing so i don't judge it i'm not the series regular with the big home run in showbiz i i had a thing where i worked on charlie sheen's show it was just one day but i liked him and, and it was so nice and it was exciting and he, i don't know and i go i feel great so you know one thing i, I read in my uh, read wrote in my book is that i all these guys that are series regulars always say I, I won the lottery i won the lottery you know but then when i worked on scrubs they were talking about they won the lottery i go i won the lottery for today for today i had a great day you know what i mean yeah so the, yeah. life is full of uh, life is a series of little uh beads on a string some of them are and you make them as good as you can and that's what a movie is too it's a series of scenes i think of a movie as a series of scenes like beads on a string. I'm responsible for this one and this one and this one, and then I don't appear for a couple, and then I'm this one. I'm going to make my beads as good as I can. First of all, I got to figure out what they what they mean in the scheme of things. I got to figure out why I am in that scene, why the scene is structured the way it is, and what I'm supposed to contribute to the scene. Because when I get to that bead on the string, I am going to create that bead. It will be oh. forevermore. Oh, the right. descendants. Uh, you, 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 that that had some Max Cherry humanism. That part. Did you see the descendants? I did. It was a great part for you. It yeah, great. it had that kind of mm, goosebumps kind of, you know, just yeah. I'm just glad they need grandfathers. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, so it, I was gonna ask, and then all this uh, humility and positivity. Do you ever get down or ever go? What? What? Why did that happen? Or annoyed? Or you know. Life is pretty short. Yeah. And uh, the amount of time you can uh, reasonably spend being down is very small. Uh, so let's get let's get on with it. Uh, yeah. And uh, when he do you still do these uh, talks sure. I'm talking about? Anytime somebody needs a free speaker, they can contact me. And if I can schedule it, I go do it. And I, I do this kind of stuff. Yeah. It's, again, so, so motivational, obviously. And just so and just 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 a talk to a mensch it's so rare you know it's funny when someone is a great guy you go well why 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 is that such a minority to be a great great guy you know i'm an idiot like if someone's a great guy then i get mad at the assholes go why (laughs) you know i mean why i accentuate on the jerks go did you see that why was that guy the guy i grew up with can't give me one line or whatever or people don't look at you i was in with with angelo a friend at the uh ass not the uh, God Sundance Film Festival, uh, we were in Slam Dance, and I'd bump into people I know. They go, "Hey, Fred," and they keep walking. I go, "Why don't you even stop? Go, Fred. Why are you in uh, Park City? You have a movie, and you know, it just uh, again, you're and and he in these speeches, you don't only just talk about your career. You talk about taking care of people who need food. You talk about the JFK conspiracy. You have uh, great points of view. Well, you know what, uh, I. Uh... I, I decided at one point or that uh, I had to find a way to express myself, that uh, I wasn't dead yet and my career was going nowhere. This was before Jackie Brown. Right, right. And, uh, and a guy uh, came on the, the patio at the Silver Spoon and handed me a magazine called Speakers for Free. 
Wow. And I thought, okay, I had been doing an acting class just because, you know, uh, eventually you have, you say, I got to do something here. So once a week I had an acting class right. and, uh, and told them the stuff that I could think of um, that I thought would be helpful. And uh, this guy hands me this speakers for free. And I put my name in, put my, an ad in there, and it wasn't free, the ad. Uh, but I got a call from the corrections department downtown Los Angeles. And the guy said, would you be willing to speak to a group of white-collar criminals? Sure, I said. <laughs> and so I collected a few of the stories that I'd been using in the acting class. I put them on a menu. There were 12 or 15 items. And I mimeographed it, uh, Xeroxed it, and uh, drove down to a place in downtown Los Angeles where I was going to meet with these uh, white-collar white, uh, criminals. And as I approached the building, I saw the building ahead, and I knew that's where it was, big correctionals building, and I got cold feet, and I drove past it. I was scared to go in, and I went around the block talking to myself, wait, what's the matter with you, Bob? What's, what are you scared of? And as I was approaching the second time, I got cold feet a second time. Oh, God. I, I mean, said, these are stories you would tell in acting class. Well, these are stories I had already told, but yeah. now I'm going to go talk to guys that who were in jail. And I said to myself, what the hell have you got to tell these guys? These guys have, have rough life experiences. Yeah, well, You're going to tell them how to do it? And I drove by a second time. And as I was going around the block the second time, I said to myself, what are you going to tell these guys, Bob? And then I said, in a moment of clarity, tell them the truth. How liberating, how simple. I pulled in. I distributed my menu. I say, what do you want to hear first? Somebody called out something. I started with that story. The hour that I was supposed to be with them went like that. I said, wow, I found a way to express myself. And I refined the stories. I added new stories to the menu. So, you know, that menu is worth, uh, you know, two, three hours worth of blah, blah. And, uh, oh, right. You would pick like different topics like the JFK. Yeah. And... I said, uh, you know, what, what do you want to hear? I, I usually start with my core material, which is 30 or 40 minutes. And then I ask for, uh, uh, you know, picks from the menu. And there's interesting ones. And, uh, you know, JFK, I always remind people, 80% of Americans believe that there was a conspiracy to kill John F. Kennedy. Uh, I am not one of them. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and then I go on to say why. Uh, you know, common sense uh, will tell you that, uh, and, and uh, Benjamin Franklin told us that, uh, yes, he said three people can keep a secret if two of them are dead. <laughs> so nobody can keep a secret, and yet we're asked to believe exactly. that, uh, that That's all why the, these conspirators Well, 9-11, how many people yeah. would have to keep that a secret yeah. to put, uh, you know, explosives and yeah. two yeah. skyscrapers, yeah. planes? Yeah. But I, right, I was yeah. just in Dallas this past weekend, and we were driving by the JFK site, and you were hearing people constantly talking about the conspiracies, and I was like, who still believes this? Who so, still believes it? And you're a saying lot of people 80%. still that's do. crazy. It used to be 80%. It might be less now, but it's Still. it's a very big number. You were there, yes? I was there, yes. And if you were, did you go and look in through the window that the guy shot from? I didn't go up from? to the window. I just looked from the street. And well, I, trust me, when I looked down from that window, I thought to myself, if I had an orange and a good arm, I could hit yeah. him with it from here. Right. It is a very close it's shot. So close. And with a gun and a scope, it is a nothing shot for anybody who well, went Did you just see American yeah. Sniper? He, that, I don't want to give it away, but I think it was a shot that was a mile. Yeah. Yes. A mile. That I don't buy. Hundreds of yards. Right. Yes. How do you do that? Yes. 
Okay, yeah. these guys are extra good, and yeah. that guy didn't need to be. No, this is from the top of a movie screen to the front row is the distance he exactly shot Exactly correct. Yes. It's a short shot, yeah. and uh, anybody who's ever actually been there says, wow, I thought it was bigger. Yeah, uh-huh. you could give a baby a rifle. Do it. Yes. <laughs> wow. I, 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 some just dumb questions. Do you have any favorite kind of gigs, like comedy versus drama, or this versus that, or... You just I, love them all. I loved getting a laugh. I got a laugh when I first decided to be an actor, and I did the Irish comedy, which wasn't very funny, uh, but the next play I did was in the community theater in Rochester. That's when I said to myself, "How? where are you going to get some experience? So I went to the, univer- uh, to, uh, the community theater of Rochester and did Come Blow Your Horn, uh, wow. And and I played the part of the young uh, uh, young guy who whose brother tries to set him up with yeah, a hooker. Yeah, so it was in. I saw the movie with Sinatra. Yes, and I forgot who the other guy was, but um, that you were playing. Yes. Anyway, she comes behind me and starts rubbing my shoulders and and giving me a little massage. The brother set her up. The brother paid her to to do this, and she says, "Can I?" I'm full front to the audience. I'm sitting in the chair. My eyes are closed. My eye. My my my. I'm like this. The girl says, can I rub your think muscle? I close my legs real quick. The audience laughs. I have never gotten over it. I like getting laughs better but, than anything but, in the world. But, but, but I have to say, and I'm, I'm repeating myself, I've said this before, for gigs... This most stressful is sitcom multi-camera because, you, well, you're auditioning all week. You you uh, do the table read. That's where people sit around. Then there's the network run-throughs. I like it better where it's a one camera and you do your thing and they say, Fred, all right, do the line this way and they get what they want rather than, you know what I'm saying, pushing for last with studio audiences. I like it's relaxed. that You're just there. You it's know. a lot more relaxed. Yes. Doing it uh, four cameras yes. uh, is is a lot of pressure. And uh, and you're right. Uh, and it's, you, you, it's all week you're doing the same thing. Now I also wanted to ask. Speaking of that, uh, well, I, I remember I did Murphy Brown years ago, and during a rehearsal, this is contradicting your deliver excellence. But Joe Ragabaluto, I think his name was, going, "You're one of these guys that that saves it for the run-throughs and the shows, because sometimes you're doing it over and over again. And and rehearsal, you don't want to." Yeah, yeah, but with Tarantino, with Jackie Brown, you said you rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed. Uh, unlike any movie I'd ever done before, there was a rehearsal period, a two-week rehearsal period. He took all the actors, you know, the ones that were involved in the scenes, to the locations they were going to work in. The Ammo wow. Mall. And all those you places. You went to the Ammo Mall We went rehearsed? everywhere. Wow. And we he set up shots. He talked to the cameraman. We did the dialogue. We did it at the her apartment uh uh, yeah, in my Jackie. office, uh, I was at several important locations, and we did the material. This was the only time in my career up till then. You just, that you just get ever, there and you shoot. You usually just walk on the set with people you don't know. Uh, they say, here's the shot. This is shot number one. Let's go. And you start swinging. Right. Uh, which is, of course, what you got to do. And, and be ready, yeah. And be ready. You got to be ready by understanding where you fit in the scheme of things. The story with John Houston, shall I? Sure, sure. The, I, I am without knowledge of how you uh, uh, work in front of a camera. All I did was get lucky. I got a Broadway play. I had been on a stage before, and I sort of had that figured out or a little bit figured out. But I get this movie with John Houston. 
I, as I said, I go to New York City. Uh, well, let, let me interrupt one second. You didn't know him at first, but then did someone tell you, hey, Robert, and then you said, oh, my God. This is a big guy. Yeah, so you didn't know at first, but then no, for a while it, it hit you. I, well, I still didn't know who he was because, wow. you know, I, I, I fly to New York. This all happened within days, okay. two, three days. It's not like the Internet where you could look no. him up or wait. And there was no yeah. videotape. There right, was stuff right. I've done years ago that right. I've never seen. If you don't see him in the movies, you never saw them right. because they didn't have videotape. Mm. But I fly to New York City. I walk in the lobby of this hotel where I'm going to meet this John Houston. And everywhere I look, everywhere, 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 there's guys. They all look like me. <laughs> I thought he wanted to meet me for reflections in a golden eye. <laughs> I flew all the way from California. Oh, no. Oh, I was so heartbroken. Oh. I took a hike. Get out of here. I'm. Oh, I was feeling horrible. I walked around Midtown for a couple of hours. I talked to myself. Go back, Bob. You got to talk oh, to this guy. Uh, you got to talk to this guy. You came all this way. I went back. I, I put my name at the bottom of the list. There's always a list. Yeah. The, uh, they call my name. I'm escorted up an elevator. We wait outside of a room. Somebody leaves. I'm escorted in. I'm introduced to this tall, old guy. What have you done? Oh, what have you done? <laughs> John Houston. I, I said, look, I haven't done much. I did a one Broadway play. I, I, uh, I, I have never made a movie. I don't know how they're made. I don't know what the wow. tricks are. But if you hire me, I'll give you your money's worth. <laughs> he says... Ray, Ray Stark, a big yeah, producer. Yeah. Come in here, Ray. I'd like you to meet an actor. <laughs> and I'm thinking, who is this guy? I told him I just did it once. I didn't want to oversell myself. In comes Ray Stark. I shake hands with him. I turn back to the tall, big guy. He says, you'll be hearing from us. Wow. <laughs> I figured that's the kiss of death. Yeah. When they say, you'll be hearing from us, you don't hear from anybody. Take a hike, right. I run back to the airport. I stop in Rochester to see my father. I get off the plane. Two hours after this meeting, my father says, quick, call your agents. They just made a deal. God. Wow. A week later, I'm back here in Los Angeles. I call, uh, the agents arrange a phone call between me and Houston. I'm on the phone with Houston. He sa I say, look, I appreciate the fact that you hired me, and I thank you very much. I said, but do you remember I told you I never did a movie? He says, I remember. Wow. <laughs> I, 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 I say, well, um, um, and reading my mind, he says, I'll give you some instruction. Mm. Whoa, the guy's <laughs> going to tell me how to do it. I meet him again during the wardrobe, and I go straight to him. I said, look, I read the script, and, and you said you were going to give me some instructions. What are they? He says, but not now, Bobby. <laughs> not yet. Okay. Uh, Montgomery Cliff dies, during which time he has to be replaced by Marlon Brando. Montgomery Cliff was yeah. the first guy that, that was oh, going to play that. that part. Finally, months later, I get the call. We're going to meet on Long Island for 10 days of shooting at an old military base, uh, Mitchell Field. I arrive three days early at Mitchell Field. I go straight to Houston. I say, look, all summer long I've been reading the script, and you said you had some instructions for me. What are they? And he says, but not yet. Bobby. Oh, my God. <laughs> now it's the night before we're going to shoot, and we're all having dinner. Everybody in the cast and crew, Elizabeth Taylor, Marlon Brando, uh, are not there. Everybody but Elizabeth Taylor and Marlon Brando are there. I lean over to him at the end of dinner. He hasn't said anything yet. I say, tomorrow morning we're going to start shooting this thing. Don't you think now's the time to give me those instructions? He says, tomorrow morning. Oh. Tomorrow morning finally comes. They put me in makeup. They put me in wardrobe. They put me in a car. They drive me to the set. The car stops. I pull it open the back door. When from behind, I hear Houston say, now's the time, Bobby. <laughs> 
shoot, I say, I'm all ears. He says, go take a look through the lens. I walk over to the camera. The cameraman steps aside. I look hmm. through the lens. I turn back to Houston. He's got his hands up like they do. The directors show you the box. Um, he says, those are the frame lines. Hmm. I look again. I say, you mean that line that shows the cameraman what the audience sees? He says, those are the frame lines. Now ask yourself this. What needs to be there? Oh, wow. That was it. <laughs> he gave me permission and responsibility to fill that frame with what needed to be there. That requires the actor to do the detective work to figure out why he's in the scene and why the scene is constructed the way it is and what I am supposed to deliver in that little fraction of the movie. He did not tell me that I was going to be, uh, 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 that I had to deliver to other people. The guy who set the lights wants you to be in them. The one listening for the words got to hear them correctly. Otherwise, at the end of the shot, somebody says, no good for sound, start again. If I'm doing something too big for the size shot I'm in, somebody behind the camera says, no good for uh, a composition, start again. If I put the cup in the wrong spot, somebody it's from all continuity says, yeah. uh, no good for uh, uh, continuity, start again. The director has needs of me. Maybe i got to make an entrance or an exit. Maybe I've got to uh, say some dialogue. I've got to do something for the other actor who may need to do this emotionally in a scene, make a rise emotionally in a scene. i got to build them a little ramp so that the other actor can do this emotionally in a scene. I owe something to everybody on that set. And when it gets into editing, i got to understand how this movie works and the way it's constructed so that we can get our audience into a roller coaster car and give them a ride. And I've got to understand the downs and the ups and if i'm not truthful with an audience going around the curves they won't believe me they won't be with us at the end of the ride you owe something to oh everybody including the one who hired you who you got to help him get his or her uh, uh day done on time you got to help them make their schedule so you owe something to everybody that sounds like a hard job i remind uh, myself and others as well, however, that even actors I know who I would not trust with a grocery list, I include myself, right. can do that eight days a week. It is not that hard to deliver an action which advantages not just yourself, but other people as well. And that is the basic metaphor for what my whole uh, speaking it, program is about. It sounds like you, the people who taught you the big lessons were John Huston and I forgot the name of the tennis player. Those were the both inspiring realizations. The guy that never gave up. Uh, oh, yeah. old Joe Stein. Yes, you those bet. were two pivotal. Oh, old Joe Stein was good. Uh, you know, I, I said this guy never quits. He's still writing. He's still seeing patients, and he can beat me at tennis. <laughs> wow. Uh, before I just sum it up and uh, go to some questions, I guess I was going to ask, but. You answered already, would accept everything. In the beginning, you didn't have to do these arduous auditions. You just met a guy, said, I never did anything, or just did a screen test. I'm Robert Forster. So what was it like when you had to all of a sudden, like, jump through hoops or read stuff? And I have a perfect record. Yeah. I have done, in the years since things started going poor, I have done countless. And, you know, if even, even at 10 or 15 a year, uh, after 50 years, that's an awful lot, Seven, yeah. 800. I have done an awful lot of auditions. 
I am perfect. I have never gotten anything that I auditioned for. If they want me, they hire me. Me too. I hate if to. If they don't really? want me, they make me come in and read, and then don't hire me. You know, Robert. I hate to compare myself to great Robert Forster, but I'm like that. That I'm just what I am, and people know me. So most of the parts I get, either they want me or not. Once I'm auditioning, and if I'm auditioning for people I've worked for before. It means they're fans of mine, but I'm not quite right. If they, if they wanted me, they know what I am. So the same thing. And uh, what was the other thing? I, you don't know what the other thing. But yes, yeah, so you had a you had a long string. And I I think I was going to ask this. I think besides Brian Cranston, you and Bob Odenkirk were the only ones who didn't have to audition for Breaking Bad. I um, I you know I'm not sure. I think how that I think worked. even. I think he made uh, Mike. Um, what, what, what's Mike's? Uh, not Mike Flynn. What's Mike's name from Breaking Bad? Um, um, forgetting. He's a big actor. Oh, uh, he's good. The guy who uh, who who's now in the... Better Call Sal. Yes, he had to audition. Uh, Gus. Uh, Gene. What? Gene Carlo Esposito had to audition. Everyone. He. I, I heard in a Vince Gilligan interview, except you and Odenkirk. Well, Vince, I got a call one time. I was now sitting at the place that I moved to after. We won't the tell it because I'll just tell you a quick story. I went on uh, Mark Marin's big podcast. This isn't Jonathan Banks, by the way. Jonathan, Jonathan yep. Banks. Okay, yep. great. I know I could grab. Okay, <laughs> and I, I talked about. I had my morning table with the late Paul Mazursky, Ronnie Shell, uh, other people like that. So one time, a guy just sits at the table with his girlfriend. Who who do, who knows you here? He goes, oh, I heard you. I heard this is your hangout. So, <laughs> so he just sat at the table. So, but I, I won't give you have a new spot and I have a uh, new spot. Yeah. And 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 in general, almost uh, nobody bothers me. I'm I'm there, and then you know I they're re- nice to me. People are all nice to Bef- me. And- before I uh, became friendly with you, I remember I went to the uh, Silver Spoon, and you had just done a show called Karen Cisco. Yes. And it wasn't coming back. And they went, sorry, Robert, you went, everything dies. Uh, all good things come to an end yes. uh, and uh, so forth. Yeah, yeah so yeah, that's your attitude. Everything Ev- dies. Everything is temporary yes. is what I might have said. That's why you have such a humble, you, you know, that's why you got to be humble because we're all going to die. We all have IBS. We all whatever, you know. But when, you know what I mean? We're all the same, you know, yeah. when people get self-important. But, uh, yeah, so... All right, one of my, you have a great line in Breaking Bad, I recite, like uh, when Brian Cranston goes, if I die, uh, you're not going to take my stuff, are you? And he goes, if I said no, would you believe me? I mean, just those lines. Oh, so Was Vince Gilligan on the set? He seems like a humble, great guy. Oh, yes. He was a, he's a very, very good guy. And just to finish your story about not auditioning, I got yeah. a call from my agent. I was sitting in the place that I sit in now. It was late in the afternoon. And it was winter, as I remember. And uh, she Winter said, in L.A., yeah. Yes. Uh, well. She said, uh, you're going to get a call from Vince Gilligan. I said, when? She says, right now. <laughs> and the call came through. And you knew who he was? Well, vaguely. Uh-huh. I, I, well, I knew, I knew Brian. I saw the show right from the beginning. I hadn't seen all the episodes, but I saw the show when he started doing it. And I knew it was a big hit by the time yeah. this thing. This was right at the end. And, uh, and uh, the call came through, and I went out in my car, and I sat down, and I talked with Vince. And uh, and Peter Gould and he said we have a part that we've been saving for you, oh, and uh, we've been referring internally as the Robert Forster part. Oh, wow! It's a part that we've referred to a few times as the disappearer, and uh, we'd like to have you play it. And I said, "Wow!" Uh, but I had a conflict. 
I had a duty at in Rochester, New York, at a museum where I was the host or one of the hosts of an event at a museum. Uh, what a classy guy to say, hey, museum, I'm, I'm, I'm on Breaking Bad, sorry. Well, no, no, they, they worked it out. I told uh-huh. them what the problem was, and they uh, said they thought they could accommodate it on the schedule. And I said, in that case, I am, I am uh, be thrilled. And they said, it's going to be a secret, so there's no discussion of it. And I agreed, uh, and, and uh, eventually, and nobody in the family knew where I had gone. And, oh, uh, you couldn't even tell your family? No, only three or four so, people in my immediate uh, had to wow. be had to know where I was. Uh, that's why w- one of the questions I- I'm I'm going to answer because it's self-explanatory. Is Jack Jack uh, Yusuf uh, is he going to possibly cameo on Better Call Sal? And my answer would be if he is, he will probably wouldn't be allowed to tell anyone. You know, uh, I <laughs> I I will assume that if they need a disappearer that. The character can come yeah. back, so yeah. I, so there's a couple of cans and maybes in there, but I hope so. <laughs> Let me I see. I hope so too. One guy goes, John so my Salaby. <laughs> was that giant alligator fun to work with? Uh, it was a huge, heavy alligator. Two guys worked their way into it and could hardly move in the thing. <laughs> before CGI. Oh, well, yes, before yeah. CGI. Yeah. And then they used miniature sets with little alligators. <laughs> I, got, I never saw this movie. I got to see it. Oh, you're missed, you've missed a good movie. This is one of the best movies in my career. Stephen King one time in Cannes said to me, that is my favorite horror movie I ever. I gotta see that. Oh, and that was probably, he was being nice to me, but it was a long time ago. There have been a lot of good horror movies since, including some of his, but he made it a point to give me a warm wow. feeling about And it was very well received in the year that it was uh, 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 on the air, uh, that it was uh, delivered in, in theaters and then went on ABC. Mark Ilko says, ask him if he remembers my favorite episode of Police Story, he played a cop who was a divorced father with a son, and he's investigating the disappearance of another little boy. It was a hell of a performance. That that episode mm-hmm. won for that show. That you, they always uh, now. The, the, I'm sorry for younger people. Police Story was a show that every episode was a whole different cast. An anthology show, uh, different cast. Uh, individual policemen came in and told writers their story, and uh, and they put it in. They made them into episodes. And this was about a real event in which uh, a child was thought not. To, to be in the neighborhood when they eventually found him in his own swimming pool underneath the silt at the bottom of the pool. Oh. The, he had slipped into the pool and gone to the bottom and was covered with the silt at the bottom of the pool. And we didn't find him for days and weeks. And that was what the episode was about. And this episode was presented f- as, um, as the, for the Emmys and won that show that as best dramatic series, uh, police wow, story that year. Amazing. It was a great show, and it was well written. And uh, and as I always say, the actors, the writers do all the work. The actors get all the credit. Well, uh, if you didn't make it with Laren Hutton, my question is. Did you ever see? I never get to kiss the girl or anything. Sometimes the joke is they put me with a beautiful girl, and that's a joke. We're arm in arm. Hey, Fred, sexy, or or it's like a this big uh, like fat lady, and that that joke is I love her. So did you ever have some fun stuff? Go, oh, I can't believe I'm with so and so. Um, well, I you know if I if 
if I had such an experience, I'm sure I wouldn't be uh, All right. uh, a, a gent by saying so. So <laughs> let's just say uh, you you have you have very often you have ambitions and fantasies about a lot of people, a lot of women <laughs> at least uh, who you work with. But uh, I try to uh, be a gent uh, at okay. least. Uh, and you know, I'll ask appropriate. One, one last question from Elaine Ewing because it's a multiple one. Robert, how did you come to? Well, we we. We answered the Breaking Bad one. Did you give him a backstory in your head that the superior? Uh, he they gave me some backstory. You, that's one of the things the actor's got to do. Right, is figure out who his back, what his backstory is, so that he can say the words. You know, there's only two rules there. You, you got to know what you mean. You do that during rehearsal, and when you think about it, when you prepare for it, and then when you're in performance, you got to mean it when you say it. And so backstory is always important in meaning what you say. I'm, I'm going to say something stupid, but I can't stop myself because the word good or bad shouldn't be used in parts. I, I, it's hard to figure out if the, uh, that character was a good or bad guy. I think he was a good guy. Which guy? Uh, the uh, disappearer bad. you played. Was he was a, a criminal? He was a guy you, guy you can depend on. Yeah. He was a criminal, but he was seemed like a decent guy. He liked the view of New Mexico and... Yeah, <laughs> the view. Um, love seeing you in Banyan Way. Oh, that's is that your latest thing? You get to work with Rain Wilson and uh, ba- uh, what's it called? Uh, no, no, Banyan Way. No, there's something else. Um, uh, Backstrom. No, Backstrom. What's Banyan Way? Banyan is an old uh, series I did. Yeah, you talk about before. But Backstrom, Rain yes. Wilson. Here's another real smart guy. I liked him on the show that he did, The, the Office. Office. And now he's got his own quirky um, detective kind of show. Detective yeah. show, and I play his father. Uh-huh. He doesn't. We don't get along. In re- in real life? Oh no, no. I'm just kidding. Real life. <laughs> Listen, the guy hired me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, they uh, offered you the part. Obviously, they offered right? me the part. No uh, audition. Uh, yeah. No. And yeah. so um, there you go. He's he is fabulous. The last show was on last night, uh-huh. uh, which I watched, and um, and I'm hoping the show gets picked up next year because it's a cliffhanger. And uh, I will definitely be in the next, the first so show, you were, of, the first show of the of the next season if they get picked so up. So you relate right. to my the, the term. Maybe we'll have you back. Have you had those hopes of like, hey, I'm in this? I mean, before the resurrection of your career, like you, you know, because I don't know if you read the part of my book when the first job I had, I heard all the guys going. I'm the mailman. They always need mail. They'll have me back. Well, I'm in the <laughs> diner. So maybe I could be one of the guys always in the diner. So we always have this hope. People have hope even if they're killed in shows. Like, oh, maybe a flashback or maybe. Uh, <laughs> so have you always had that kind of desperate hope earlier? Uh, usually uh, my hopes end when they say, thank you for coming in. You don't want to get your hopes <laughs> up. Well, let me sum up. Anything besides the Rain Wilson thing coming up you're excited about? Or? You know, I, I when people say to me, uh, do you have something next? I always say, I hope so. And, well, you know, it's a funny thing. It's, I have the same thing when I was promoting my book or a friend Vinny in my movie I did with Angel. They always go, what's next? It's like, this isn't good enough. Yeah. This isn't right. good enough. Yes, right. yes. Well, what else? What else? Well, actually, um, you had the same thing because he produced a movie. He got the funds, a very good movie at the festivals. What's it called? Guys it's and called Girls. Guys and Girls Can't Be Friends. So he had a yeah. publicist saying... Um, well, you got to come up with something else because they're going to ask you what's next. So you what's next? Did your yes. right. No, it was the thing. It was the same thing when we screened it this weekend in Dallas. Your first question from anyone is always, "What do you? What else are you working on?" It's like, well, "Did you enjoy this one?" Yes. Yeah. And I had, I had, I did a in conversation with my book, 
And then I was getting questions, and one person goes, did you ever consider writing? <laughs> well, we're here talking about my book. What, what is, yes. I, and how impressive your spelling is. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is the hardest thing besides comedy that there is to do in the world, and that is to create a project and get it finished and right. get it to market. It is so hard. I, I tried it once. I know just how hard what it is. What was the movie, Middleman or Diamond Men? I know you did two of those. Uh, both, I did both those titles. Right. One of them you but, produced. No, no. The one that I produced is called um, Hollywood Harry, yes. a broken down detective who yes. lives in the, who lives in Hollywood, who doesn't want to fall in love anymore, whose uh, fourteen year old, thirteen, twelve year old niece uh, comes to live with him, and uh, and she won't be, and she won't leave the little snip. Get out of here. <laughs> well, this is a podcast. I hope every actor, writer, or human being should listen to just about you know your story or. You know, just it's so inspiring because, you know, we get taken by the rules like this is the age you're supposed to make it. This is the months when it's pilot season. This is, you know, when things are supposed to be. And you, and you got to just shut out the rules of what it's but the supposed to. Because my attitude with women in my career is all I can hope for are the rare exceptions. If people say this is what women <laughs> we all want hope for those rare exceptions, yes, I'm sure, sure you. Uh, right. Yeah. We all we we all we can all agree to that. Because yeah. if I if I if I I always listen, women want a guy, a provider with a house. Women want this. If I go by what women or Hollywood wants, there'd be a bullet in my head a long time ago. I can't go by and you showed it too, by what they look for, what they want. You gotta just go, give me that rare exception, right? Well, I say this is the best I got. I hope it's good enough. Yeah. Oh, it's it's amazing. And again, you've had so many seminal things, too much to you know, your parts and heroes and uh I mean, if you ever get broke, which you won't, you, I'm sure you could do those uh, sci-fi festivals. Uh, have you done it? No, I've never done one of those, but uh, I, I've seen people and and, and there's uh, no shame. No shame. I, no. I visited uh, old. Oh, listen, you got old. You see all old friends. Yeah. Uh, in signings and such. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. So I've I've uh, been to a couple of them. I haven't participated in them, but uh, I know I got those uh, well, still to go. Well, Bob, I'm going to stop by the new secret hideout and. Buy you breakfast. I'll buy you breakfast. All right. And Ben, uh, if you come with him or alone, I'll buy you breakfast. Great. So, I love a free uh, breakfast. Is. And Mike, uh, any questions, Mike? Um, you know, yeah, I did, I did just want to uh, tell Robert that in that Breaking Bad, when, when it's revealed that it's him, when he pulls up and you see that it's him, I, I was so happy at that moment. I was like, that's yeah. Max Cherry, and here he is in Breaking Bad, and he pulled up, and it's not too much of a leap that it's maybe even the same guy. Well, it's very you know similar I mean? to Max Cherry. Right, yeah, similar, similar to Max Cherry, yes. It and was I'm very sure they exciting. Said, they said something like that in the uh, in that phone call, well, that initial phone call, you know, we like what you did in Max Cherry, and uh, we have a part. We've been saving it for you. And Well, also, if I'm not mistaken, I don't think your name were in the guest star credits to make to keep the surprise. Yes. And it was just at the end. Yes. And this this is one of the most exciting. Again, I, I'm being repetitious, but when I, even though you do a lot of those free talks, when I set it to, up at the farmer's market where I bought turkey sandwiches, coffee, brought a crowd, I felt I produced something. Like you said, to get anything produced is so rewarding, even though it was a, one of my favorite actors talking to people with these inspiring stories. I felt when I look at things I've accomplished, even though it was your talking and your story, I put it together and I felt that's one of the things I'm proud of, just that little thing. So I think that's what you're saying, that excellence, even if it's doing a talk or, yeah. Anything at all yeah. gives you that reward, the reward of self-respect, 
and satisfaction. And that's why I want to keep doing this podcast because I'm expressing myself. And at the end, we always go to All Things Comedy, get the merch, and I thank Bill Burr, Al Madrigal, for setting up this thing for us to express ourselves. And maybe you could have a podcast. I don't think I have that much to say, but uh, I'm glad I was on your podcast. (laughs) Thank you, Fred. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Mike. Thank you so much. Oh, man. Again, it's...